Welcome to Myths, Mysteries, and Monsters. Today we're looking at a haunting that occurred in the early 19th century in what is today Adams, Tennessee. One that still haunts locals and paranormal investigators to this day. One that involves a possible betrayal, rumors of witchcraft, the law, a U.S. president, and a seemingly innocent family. Today, we're looking at the legend of the Bell Witch of Tennessee. We'll look at the most commonly reported series of events, then we'll break down the story, what is possibly fact and what is possibly fiction. And finally, we'll look at a few theories of what actually happened in Tennessee all those years ago. Is it possible the Bell Witch was just a made-up story that has traveled through time? Or are the accounts of the hauntings more than just a story? Part 1. The Legend I fear not the dark itself, but what may lurk within it. Quote by Unknown The Legend of the Bell Witch has seen many iterations, with details shady at best, for which are true, which are exaggerations, and which are complete falsehoods. We've taken a look at several different variations and pieced together what seems to be the most detailed account of the events in Tennessee in the early 1800s. The 1800s were a time of great expansion for the United States, a time for opportunistic families to purchase land and try their hand at farming. In 1804, the Bell and the Batts families were both one of these opportunists and traveled together with other families to new lands of Tennessee. Little did they know that their fates would be intertwined for more than just a travel. The Batts family were very early on affected by the harsh environment of the 1800s. The patriarch of the family, Frederick Batts, was struck ill and left unable to do much work several years into arriving into the new lands, while the matriarch of the family, Catherine, or Kate for short, who was left to take on many of the responsibilities of the farm, was seen as a tough and often mysterious woman. So much so, many of the townsfolk believed she practiced witchcraft in the dark recesses of her home. Due to Frederick's illness and inability to assist with tending the farm, it was decided they would start to sell off pieces of their land. One of their first takers were their neighbors and fellow travelers, the Bell family. The Bell family consisted of Lucy Bell and her husband John Bell, along with six of their children, and many were well liked in the surrounding town. John Bell was a successful farmer in their previous farms, and in Tennessee the outcome was no different even becoming a prominent member of the local Red River Baptist Church. Hearing the Batts family was interested in selling off portions of their land, quickly grabbed the attention of John Bell, who knowing of the financial situation of the Batts, was said to have taken advantage, offering Kate Batts a substantially lower price than what she was asking for. With no other option, the Batts family took the offer, but the transaction also produced a newfound hatred from Kate Batts onto the Bell family, specifically John Bell. It wasn't long after this, in 1817, that John Bell also purchased a young slave girl from another farmer, Benjamin Batts, brother of Kate Batts. Although the sale was complete, John Bell claimed he would return for the girl in a few days, instead of taking her immediately. Upon his return, Benjamin Batts felt the girl was worth more than the price Bell had paid and wanted to resell her. After some negotiations, John Bell sold the girl back to Benjamin Batts for a much larger price than what he originally paid. 
This drew harsh criticism from Kate and her brother Benjamin, tacking onto the already growing anger towards John Bell. But instead of spewing his own anger, Benjamin Batch took action and filed a lawsuit against Bell. While at first the church felt Bell was justified in his actions, the courts disagreed. John Bell was found guilty of usury, or charging excessive interest. With this spreading throughout the towns, the Red River Baptist Church decided to distance themselves from John and went the extra length of excommunicating him. The effect of no longer being part of the church is something that is often cited as what allowed for evil to enter the Bell home. In the fall of 1817, while out tending to his land, John Bell and his son Drew began to hear the sound of a strange growling. As they ventured further into the cornfields, they spotted an animal that John Bell would later describe as having the body of a large dog and the head of a rabbit. The sudden appearance of the animal frightened the two and triggered John Bell to fire several shots at the creature. Believing to have struck and killed it, the two Bells cautiously approached the animal to find it gone, leaving no evidence behind. The Bells would return home where all seemed back to normal, until that night, where the sounds of knocking began to emanate from the outside of their log cabin. At first the sounds were low, but with each passing day, the sound became increasingly more forceful and loud. Yet each time John Bell and his children would rush out of the cabin, there would be nothing in the vicinity or any evidence of someone or something banging on the cabin. Little did the family know this was just the beginning of their nightmare terrors that would soon become an everyday occurrence. Following this, the children began to complain of the sounds of scratching coming from their beds, fighting dogs on the outside, furniture being moved and thrown about, yet there would be no evidence of such occurrences. It seemed as if time went on, the soon-to-be malicious spirit grew in strength. The children would then experience more tangible events, their blankets and covers being pulled from them, as well as their pillows seemingly taken from them and tossed across the room as they slept. And soon, the whispers began. One of the children in particular, Betsy Bell, would then become the favorite target of whatever entity was haunting them. On a seemingly normal night, Betsy Bell's dream was suddenly ended from a powerful slap to her face. Terrified, as she made her attempt to move, she found her head tied to the bedpost, locking her down to endure the brutal slappings on her face. As her screams awoke the rest of the family, they rushed in to find her laying with hand-sized welts across her face. From here on out, most of the family would begin to experience physical events, including guests when they would arrive at the home. With the spirit increasing in strength and more visitors coming to see these events, one asked aloud, Who or what are you? It was here the spirit finally spoke to call itself Old Kate Bat's Witch. From here on out, the witch was known to be called Kate and would answer when asked questions. She was known to sing hymns, quote scripture, and taunt the family. But one family member she loved was Lucy Bell describing her as a perfect woman and mother. On the opposite end of the spectrum, the Bell Witch despised John Bell and threatened to take his life. As the tale of the Bell Witch spread across the towns, 
more and more visitors would come to be witnesses to the events. One man, by the name of William Porter, would go on to claim the witch climbed into bed with him. He then tied her up in the sheets and attempted to throw her into the fireplace, claiming the only thing that prevented him from vanquishing the spirit was her pungent smell and heavy weight. The next visitor to grace the Bell Witch's presence was none other than future president Andrew Jackson. On hearing about the hauntings troubling the Bell family, and having led some of the older Bell children into battle, Andrew Jackson took it upon himself to visit the home. During the journey there, Jackson traveled with a few men, one of which was a self-proclaimed witch tamer. On reaching the outskirts of the farm, the wagon the group was riding on became so heavy, the horses, try as they might, were unable to pull it. It was here when Andrew Jackson proclaimed, by the eternal, that must be the bell witch. The proclamation drew a response from a female voice allowing them to proceed. Though, within 24 hours, the group had left the farm. It is rumored after experiencing a large amount of paranormal activity, including one of his men being thrown out of the home, that Andrew Jackson announced, I'd rather face the whole British army than face the bell witch again. As the years of the haunting went on, the health of the Bell's home's patriarch slowly began to deteriorate. John Bell would experience episodes of choking, swelling of the tongue, inability to swallow, and even the inability to speak. And on December 19, 1820, John Bell would not wake from his sleep. He appeared to be in a coma, which led his family to rush to his medicine cabinet, only to find a mysterious vial with a foul liquid. When one of the boys gave the liquid to the family cat, the cat immediately seized up and died. With the death of the cat, a loud cackling was heard, and the bell witch proclaimed, I gave old Jack a big dose of that last night, which fixed him. John Bell died the very next day. It's said after his death, the hauntings virtually ceased for the time being, except for during his funeral, where the bell witch was said to be heard laughing and singing drinking songs. The witch was seen again one year later when Betsy Bell was set to marry Joshua Gardner, a longtime fiancé of hers. The witch would appear constantly to taunt and harass the two and warn Betsy of marrying Joshua. Eventually, this was enough for Betsy to call off the engagement. Years later, she would go on to marry someone else. Part 2. Deconstruction I believe in ghosts, but we create them. We haunt ourselves. Laurie Anderson The story of the Bell Witch has had many variations in the past, mainly due to the story being mostly told orally until the late 1800s. The first book or full account of the events that transpired on the Bell Farm came about in the book Authenticated History of the Bell Witch by Martin Ingram. The book did include a chapter in it that was taken from the diary of Richard Bell, one of John Bell's children, in which he laid out the events that occurred on the farm. But it was only a chapter. So let's break down the story and see if we can make out what is fact from fiction. Let's start with the Bats family. The involvement of the Bats family ranged based on who is telling the story. While the excommunication of John Bell from the church and being found guilty for usury seems to be historically accurate as the records show, it seems like everything else involving the Bats or Kate Bats is often exaggerated or non-existent. Some retellings of the story have Kate Batts being a widow, who was at one point engaged to John Bell, but after he broke up with her, she swore revenge. 
another retelling has K-Bats dying after the sale of the farm and placing a curse on John Bell, leading to her returning as the witch as opposed to her ascending the witch. In reality, the real K-Bats lived a long time, well past John Bell's death. Other retellings omit K-Bats completely from the story, and some historical documents seem to show this is likely the most accurate version of events, with even the sale of the land to the Bells from the Bats being part of the fabricated story. Now let's look at the events with Andrew Jackson. It was said after these events that Andrew Jackson would never speak of what happened that night ever again. How convenient. Jackson was known as a man with a tough exterior and a very short temper. For him to have been outmatched or frightened by a ghost, it would have definitely been used by the Adams campaign to attack Jackson in 1828. The election of 1828 held no punches and according to Andrew Jackson himself, the personal attacks on his marriage led to the death of his wife. Next, the vial that killed John Bell. It said that after it killed the cat, the vial was thrown into a fireplace where it exploded into a blue flame shooting up into the chimney. Nothing of it or any evidence remains, which leads us to the theories. Part 3. Theories Believe nothing you hear and only one half that you see. Edgar Allan Poe The most likely theory in my opinion is most, if not all, of the stories made up. While the people may have existed, and the records do show the death of John Bell, it is likely the witch story was just fabricated. The first accounts of it actually being written and published occurred in 1894, over 70 years after the events. As we said earlier, they were written by Martin Ingram, a newspaper writer, during a time when newspapers were for entertainment as much as for news. Martin Ingram's book relied heavily on oral accounts and the diary of Richard Bell, who was actually born in 1811, making him six years old at the time the hauntings began, and ten by the time his father died. The next theory we'll touch on is the possibility the Bell Witch was created by Betsy Bell herself. She was a favorite of the witch to haunt, and a theory suggests Betsy was madly in love with Joshua Gardner and used the witch to force a marriage between them. It would only be 30 years later that the Fox sisters would travel across the country showcasing their abilities to speak to the dead, using their toes, other parts of their body, and tricks to fool would-be onlookers for 40 years. What if Betsy Bell was just a predecessor to the Fox sisters? Well, this theory does bring up a couple questions. 1. Why kill her father? Records show that the entire family was supportive of her marrying Joshua Gardner. And two, if the goal was to end up marrying Joshua Gardner, why go through the trouble and then call off the engagement? The last theory we'll look at, although quite out there, is the most interesting. This theory suggests John Bell's wife, Lucy Bell, was in some form related to Cape Bats. Either they are sisters or cousins. The theory states Lucy and Kate teamed up to kill John after Kate developed a hatred for John due to the sales. While intriguing, nowhere could I find any evidence that Kate and Lucy were more than just neighbors. But before you make your decisions on the Bell Witch, I'll leave you with one last local legend. These days, it doesn't appear anyone has seen the witch in a while. 
but where the farm used to be, there is now a cave. A cave where people claim to hear the witch every so often. A cave where you can take tours and explore at your leisure. But don't take anything from the cave because that belongs to the Bell Witch. And the last person who did take a rock from the cave in just three days time was in an accident, lost his job, and his wife passed away. Evidence of a witch or a curse? You decide. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of Myths, Mysteries, and Monsters. Make sure to come back next week as we'll take a look at the mysterious death of a famous author. My name is Hector. Story, script, and research all done by E.L. Soto. Sources are in the show notes for further reading. Subscribe, rate, and review. And remember, always look behind you. (laughs) 